healthcare reform and lawmakers from Ohio, the school speech flap, and repealing the estate tax. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSIDE, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Kathy Kandiski, Statehouse reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. Bill Cohen, Statehouse correspondent for Ohio Public Radio. Bob Clegg, Republican strategist. And Joseph Moss, attorney. President Obama this week called for the end of partisan bickering over health care. But lawmakers from Ohio remain aligned with their parties. Democrats like Mary Jo Kilroy and Sherrod Brown rallied behind the president's plan to legally require health insurance, ban insurance disqualification for pre-existing conditions, and find ways to insure 46 million Americans who lack it. Republicans like Pat Tiberi and George Voinovich wonder how we're going to pay for reform and whether the president really wants bipartisan help. Joe Moss, what are the chances that Mary Jo Kilroy and Pat Tiberi will actually vote for the same bill? Very slight chance. However, I do think that the president's moving address to both houses of Congress was a game changer. I'm not sure that it's going to change a lot of people on the right, but I do think that the people on the left are trying to find a way towards the middle. So and I think that's going to be very important. So this was a way to rally Democrats like Mary Jo Kilroy and Zach Space, who may have differing opinions on the specifics. You that's think correct. that's what this was? Yeah. Did it do that to, to Zach Space, a blue dog Democrat, fiscally conservative? Well, I think, I think what we're going to have to do is wait and see what comes out of Senate Finance this week. Um, they're working on a bill. They're talking that it may be out as soon as Tuesday. And there's, there seems to be some effort to address some of the issues that are of concern to, to conservatives. Uh, medical malpractice, um, il whether illegal aliens will be covered by the bill. The president says no, but I think there wants, they want undocumented some immigrants. undocumented. Uh, I think there wants some um, assurance on that. And the other issue out there that I think they may try and address in a more specific way is federal funding for abortions. Will Republican lawmakers, Bob, vote for any health care reform? Yeah, and they've detailed what they would vote for, and that's malpractice reform, portability of health plans, dealing with pre-existing conditions. Those are all things that Republicans back. What I found interesting about the president's address was the number of uh, individuals that were euphemistically thrown under the bus, like the undocumented uh, illegals, which you already have seen, his number change from used to be 47 million were un, you know were uninsured people. Now we're down to 30 million because he's taken out that whole segment of those people, and he's just said mm, they don't need it because obviously I can't get a bill passed if they're included, so they don't need to really have insurance. Uh, when the when the Republicans offered an amendment to specifically state that, though the Democrats voted against it, so I don't know where we're. I think the one thing that's that's happened uh, with this address is that whole issue is now more focused, and I think if the Republicans do it again, it, it'll it'll probably pass. Also, I think seniors uh, got thrown under because he's talking about saving 500 billion in Medicare through fraud and waste. Please, I mean, if there was that much fraud and waste, you know, it would have been a long time ago. I think the you know you really got to wonder how it, how is he going to cut Medicare by five hundred billion dollars? I mean the hot buttons: fraud and waste, malpractice insurance, 
they're nice things, but they're not going to solve the problem financially. They might help, but they're not gonna, they're not the cure all. No. No. It's cutting costs and eliminating expensive tests and things like that that's going to solve the problem. Yeah. I think this speech was just a g another good example of uh, Obama uh, trying to cling to the political center, not be viewed as ultra liberal, uh, not only in content but in tone. Uh, he's been trying to do that. Of course, those on the far right are going to try to paint him as far left. But I think uh, both in tone and content, he, he was pretty much tending toward the center. And by the way, I disagree that the undocumented were ever included in the, in the numbers. I, I do agree that they're included in the 46 million, but I don't think that that was ever a part of any bill at any time. Not since 1996 uh, has, has that been part of the picture at all. That's what he said. Now, the 46 million, just to be clear, that's the number of uninsured Americans uninsured as Americans. of 2008. Yeah, the, the undocumented, the Democrats claim that undocumented immigrants wouldn't be eligible, but the Republicans argue that there's no enforcement. Democrats argue that the enforcement that the Republicans propose would have excluded documented and, and citizens from health care. Yeah, and that's, so that's just absolutely not true. The truth they is have always not, somewhere they have not. in the middle. George Voinovich, early in the week, pundits pegged him as a possible Republican supporter because he's not seeking re-election. They think maybe he would break party ranks and support a health care reform plan. After the speech, he seemed to go out of his way to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not likely to vote for this plan. Where does he sit in all this, Bob? Do you think? Do you see him voting for? A no, I don't see him voting plan? for it. It, it. As long as there's going to be a plan which will dictate what kind of services, medical services, people can or cannot have, I don't think he's going to sign on board with that. Um, it, it's you know, if government's going to have a say on what kind of care you're going to get and what kind of procedures you can or cannot get, I don't see how he can sign on to something. I like think that. he's deficit vote no because of the deficit yeah. situation. That's the thing he always comes back to time and time again, and I I, I think it's going to be hard to convince him that it's not going to balloon the deficit. And and I think the opposite. I think that he is a possibility. Then and as a matter of fact, um, I, I think we might see him on Olympia Snow. Politico.com suggested he might vote yes to get a NASA research facility in Cleveland. Is it that kind of horse trading <laughs> that's going to me? <laughs> I mean, to come into that, I mean, politics <laughs> is politics, and there's all kinds of deals made. Is that as easy, is that what it takes? As an Ohioan, that's a win-win situation. Well, I tell you, you'd have to throw in NASA and also throw in an amendment banning, it, banning any abortion <laughs> coverage be before he's going to be sign on to a bill like that. Yeah. Maybe gambling, banning gambling, that might get <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to that, I guess. <laughs> and figure out a way to pay for it, which is the other thing. Our second topic, in the end, it was much ado about nothing, or at least very little. After a week of school officials twisting themselves in knots, most Central Ohio school superintendents decided to show Barack Obama's education speech this week. After getting calls from parents opposed to the speech, some school leaders decided not to show it. Then they got calls from parents who wanted their kids to see it, so they put it back on. After it was over, most of us asked this question. Kathy, what was all the fuss about? Well, you know, it, it was amazing, and I'm not sure what all the fuss was about because in the end, as you pointed out, um, Hilliard-Davidson High School, 1,600 kids, that was one of the first districts to say they weren't going to show it, had six students opt out of viewing it. In Grandview schools, one student opted out of doing it. So in the end, I think there was a lot of pushback, but I think what got some parents concerned at the beginning um, of the week was concerned about what was in the accompanying lesson plan. I think there was no question that the speech itself was very 
nonpartisan, was pretty much to energize students, encourage them to work hard, and tell them a little bit about what the president went through as a student. Uh, it's hard to understand why anyone would object to that. But there was some language in the lesson plan originally that was subsequently taken out that asked students to write about how they could help the president. Some parents who don't support Obama viewed that as, as you know, an unhealthy exercise for their kids and kind of got riled up by some you know, talk radio hosts and others to, to complain. I think once people, you know, conversations I have with my friends and neighbors, once people kind of understood what the whole thing was about, I don't think it was as big a deal. And in the end, the speech itself was really a conservative speech, really conservative Absolutely. values. Here's a quote here, he says, uh, at the end of the day, the circumstances of your life, what you look like, where you come from, how much money you have, what you've got going on at home, none of that is an excuse for neglecting your homework or having a bad attitude in school. That's no excuse for talking back to your teacher or cutting class or dropping out of school. There's no excuse for not trying. So he's saying, you know, all these things, poverty and everything, which, you know, sometimes liberals say, oh, you know, people can't like do this. He says, no, there's no excuse. No, there's no sounded no like, he sounded like he sounded like a dad of two young girls. That's what he sounded like. I mean, yeah. it sounded like, you know, you know. Wasn't this the reason that even people that voted against Barack Obama were dazzled by his candidacy? We have an, an African-American that, ha that has excelled in academics and has dedicated his life to service. I think that is a wonderful story, and, and that's what we wanted him to do. We wanted him to share that particular story with the American people. I was concerned, by the way, about something else, and that is the finality of elections. I was concerned that some of those parents didn't want to embrace the concept that Barack Obama was the president of the United States. Bob Clegg, Democrats criticized President Bush back in 1990, the first President Bush in 91, when he made a similar speech. Is it, are Democrats being hypocritical here by criticizing well, Republicans upset over Barack Obama? Yeah, speech? I mean, Democrats have their own set of rules when their person is president versus when a Republican is president. And when Joe talks about questioning you know, the president, the Barack Obama's president, how many times did we have questions about George W. Bush being president? I mean, they can't say it's bad now, but it wasn't bad then. And I think, and everything that George W. Bush, not everything, but many things that George W. Bush did were always questioned by the Democrats and the liberals, always questioned. His motives were always questioned. So now, once this is questioned, of Barack Obama, it's all so bad now yeah, because it's Barack. This was over yeah, the top. But you I mean, you had parents on TV. I saw an interview where a mother was like crying because she didn't want her child to have to quote listen to this. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's well, a little more extreme than disagreeing. Women that were crying about Bush lied and people died. I mean, come on, people. This has occurred for the last eight years. No. Why are you all surprised? <laughs> is that the, is the difference on? totally different? Here's, here's the difference. Surprised. In 1991, there was CNN. Mm -hmm. And there were no blogs, there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was no Fox News, there was no MSNBC. The difference is that everything is just amplified. Is that what's causing and people, this? And more people are engaged in the system. This is also part of it. You want people engaged in the process. You're getting more people engaged in the process. You can't complain that people are engaged in the process, know what's going on, and are stating their opinion. This is part of being in America. Now, if we only want people engaged into the system that, that agree with us, then we got a problem, because there's always going to be some that don't. We have it, but, but that the key is the word process. We do have a political process by which to share our differences of opinion. What was going on this past week was not that at all. 
you, you basically had people attempting to intimidate school systems, trying to block the message, not of Barack Obama, but of the President of the United States. And I do think that that is a different issue. I, I know, like as a parent, the, the biggest concern I had was the message to students that it was okay to disrespect the office. And I think that's what you heard Laura Bush come out over the last weekend and say, and I think even Newt Gingrich came out he and did. said, what what's not okay here, you can disagree with the president and you cannot, you know, go with his policies, but the disrespect shown toward the office I think is a concern and I think is probably not the message we want our kids to have. So why did superintendents, why were some superintendents, not all, but some superintendents so quick to respond to those complaints and immediately back off and say, we're not going to show the speech. Because they listened to this very vocal group, but then they heard complaints on the other side, and whoa, okay. Well, it's, controversy. Money, everybody, everybody, it's, it's controversy. Yeah. they got to go to these same parents to ask for you know, tax increases. I just wish we were this concerned about disrespecting the office for the past eight years. It seems to me we're so focused on it now. I wish we would have been focused on it for the past eight years because then maybe it wouldn't be so bad right now, okay? But Bob, you may remember that uh, uh, Congressman Rangel came to the defense of President Bush when Chavez called him the devil in front of the United Nations. So, that uh, was nice of him. So, so but it wasn't perhaps nice for Maxine not Walters to call him a liar. It's not nice when you have other congressmen saying he stole an election. I mean, these are elected officials that are part of our Congress who did that to him. It wasn't nice when he would address a joint session and they would boo him and boo parts of his speech. Okay? Now, you, we're, I know we're... Yelled, nobody Okay, lied. but it's okay, I guess, to boo a president during his joint session, but it's not okay to yell words at him. Will we That's ever what get, we've gotten down to here. Will we ever get back to a more civil tone? Or is that impossible because of the cable news and the blogs and the, the conservative talk? Is it impossible to get back to that? Bill, what do you think? I mean, well, I think the, the thing is that this lack of civility we're talking about, where the, you know, the meetings get disrupted and so forth, let's be very fair about this. In the 60s, the left yeah. was very sympathetic to sit-ins, shouting yeah. down speakers yeah. on college campuses. Yeah. They say, oh, how dare you support the war? There was all this kind of stuff, very disruptive behavior and very rhetorical, high-level language, you know, uh, uh, overblown, over the top. Now the right wing is starting to use these same tactics, and those on the left are outraged. I think both sides are really, in a way, hypocritical because they don't like it when the other guys use these tactics, but when their side uses them, they're in, they're in the cause of noble, uh, noble <laughs> cause. That's a lie. I, I think it just shows, I think the un underlying message here is, is it shows how difficult it's become to find middle ground in this country. There's, there's not, a, it's, it's hard to get there. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that want to be there, but I think, you know, you've got vocal on, on both spectrums here vocal opposition in bo on both sides, and uh, it makes it difficult. Speaking of noble and civil causes, our third topic, <laughs> gambling. <laughs> Labor Day. Labor Day is the start of the fall political season, and this season there is really one big money race. The ad war in that race is now underway. Enough's enough. It's time we took control of our borders. For too long, we've given neighboring states our gaming dollars. As that $1 billion a year goes out of state, with it goes economic opportunity and jobs. It's time to do something. Issue 3's four casinos will create 34,000 jobs, keep a billion dollars in Ohio, and construction will begin immediately, providing an instant jumpstart to the economy. Take charge. Keep our money in Ohio. Vote yes on Issue 3. Issue 3. 
Las Vegas-style casinos in Ohio. It isn't what you think it is. According to the out-of-state casino developer's own study, at no time will 34,000 Ohioans be put to work, and the jobs that are created will go to skilled, experienced casino workers from out-of-state, all because Issue 3 gives no hiring preference to Ohio workers. Vote no on Issue 3. A bad deal for Ohio. The dueling casino companies will run those ads right up until Election Day when voters decide on the plan to locate four casinos around the state. Meanwhile, racetrack owners face a Tuesday deadline to pony up the first installment of cash to get lottery slot machines at racetracks. Now, Bob Clegg, you're working on one of, with one of the anti-casino groups, not the one that no, produced that ad, that so you didn't pick the big guy no, with the glasses. No, I did not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just deja vu all you over think? again. Have we yeah. talked about this before? Um, you know what's getting interesting about this? is we've done this so many times that the two ads that went up against each other, they somehow knew exactly what they each were going to talk about because the anti-side came out with their, there's really not that many jobs while the pro-side was going up with saying there really are that many jobs. And then the pro-side even had one ready to go against the anti-side by having the FOP guy go up there saying, they're lying, we told you they were going to lie. You know, it's, a, it's just we've done this so much that everybody kind of knows what everybody else is doing. So how is it going to work this time if you support casinos? It's lost every time. They're pumping a lot of money in here. They don't, I mean, they may be I think I think I think odds. what they're going to do is what they tried to do last year, which was try to take advantage of the economic condition here in Ohio. I think the pro-casino people feel that's probably the only way they're going to ever get something like this passed in Ohio. They're going to have to concentrate on just jobs, which is why the anti-side is also concentrating on just jobs. The no side always has the advantage in these citizen-initiated uh, ballot proposals. Only three or four have passed in the last 70 years. Uh, and there's good reason because, you know, you can if you're on the no side, you give people 10 reasons why they should vote no. And they don't need to agree with all 10 to vote no. They just need to agree with one or two of them. So you throw 10, of, 10 arguments out there and a lot of people will hook onto one or two of them. And then there'll be people who are confused. Uh, oh, is this the slots at the tracks? Or is this the casino? Didn't we vote on this last year? And they say, oh, I better play it safe. I better play it safe by voting no. By voting no. Well, that's not necessarily playing it safe, but that's what they do. So the vote no side just has, always has a built-in advantage. And then, of course, you've got the, the 30 or 40 or 50 percent of people who are always going to vote no because they don't like gambling in principle. So, and, and that's when, by the way, I like both ads. I think that they're both, from a marketing perspective, I think that they're both effective. And that whole business about the 34,000 jobs not being Ohio jobs, they leave something out. At really? the same, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, because yes. about sixteen thousand is in construction, and then the balance is going to be in the actual operation of the casino. But, but, I, and I thought Bill was going to touch on this, but don't forget, we have not just two sides; we have three sides, because then we have the the tracks yeah. uh, that are going to have their own spin on this whole thing. They face a deadline on Tuesday. They need thirteen million dollars each to start the process of mm -hmm. applying for these horse uh, racinos, the slot machines total of $65 million. But you got this on the ballot, you've got the Supreme Court weighing uh, whether or not this should go to the, the racetrack slot should go to the ballot. What are the chances they're going to pony up $13 million on Tuesday? 
I don't know, as we speak, none of them have come up with the money and filed applications. Uh, you never know what's going to happen in the next couple of days. But they, as you say, they've got this legal cloud over it. So if you're a financially pressed uh, racetrack right now, uh, are you, you going to be able to put this money forward? And you don't know if the Supreme Court's going to rule against you. One question is, I think, uh, floating around, if you give the $13 million and then the court rules against it, are you going to get your $13 million back? I'm not sure if they're and, that's and I would assume, but I maybe assume that would, should be made clear by yeah, the state. <laughs> <laughs> I would make it maybe clear. Maybe we'll talk about it, gambling. Yeah. It's, yeah, I was going to say the ultimate gamble. But the state does seem to be taking a hard line on this when there are legitimate questions out there that these racetrack owners face. I, I kind of wondered if the fact that we're going to have that w we're looking to have um, the slots at the racetracks, whether that might help the ballot issue because people might think of it as, well, we're almost there, we're going to almost be there with this, or it's moving closer to that, whether that kind of will help it along. I mean, I, I agree with what you said, Bill, that it's a, it's a tough vote to overcome, but I think that, I don't know, maybe that'll help it. You, you touched on the irony here. There's such uh, sweet karma in this whole thing. Last year was Penn National, the Pennsylvania yeah. company, who gave people 10 reasons to vote no against that proposal. Now they're on the vote yes side, and some another casino interest is telling us why Penn National's plan has 10 reasons so to vote no. So Even though Penn National owns a racetrack here in Ohio and could have slots at that racetrack. Oh, so simple. Our final topic, we know we can't take it with us when we depart, but if you have a lot of it, the state takes a chunk of it. We're talking about the estate tax, or the so-called death tax. A group has started the process to repeal the estate tax. It could be on the ballot next November. Currently, the estate tax kicks in when the estate is larger than about $340,000. Bill Cohen, what's fueling this repeal effort? We've done this before in the legislature, and it got rejected. That's right. Yeah, the legislature usually ignores this kind of proposal. Uh, the backers of this uh, proposal say, look, we've got people moving to Florida, uh, upper middle class, upper class people who don't want their estates taxed like this, and they're all moving to Florida, and so uh, let's get rid of this and we'll keep these very productive Ohioans, these entrepreneurs and these people who spend a lot of money and who generate tax money, we'll keep them in Ohio. Uh, but, uh, you know, first they're going to have to collect 120,000 yeah. petition signatures twice to get this on the ballot, and, uh, uh, but they've gotten the first go-ahead to start. Do voters care about this, the average voter? To well, I tell, yes you, on it? I tell you who really cares, and that is the local municipalities, because they get 80% mm -hmm. of the estate tax. Uh, I looked into this a little bit because I thought that the vast majority of, of, of the states, with the exception of maybe Texas, Florida, and California, had estate taxes. I was totally wrong. Only 16 states have estate taxes. Um, it's not super high. Most of the people are not affected by it. Uh, but I think that the municipalities are going to be the advocates for uh, opposing. $360 million dollars in revenue it generates. Correct. It's just a tough time to repeal taxes, taxes. right now. Oh. I, I just think it faces, I mean, it's faced an uphill battle in good times. In times like this, I, I think it's just going to be that much more of a challenge. If you even do the Republicans, math. even Republicans who controlled the legislature two, yes. two uh -huh. and four years ago, they never did this. They instead went after the lowering the state income tax, but they said we Which don't have enough money thing. to do both. We can't, we can't get rid of both. If you do the math, it's a 6% tax on estates that are about a half million dollars. That comes out to $30,000. You know, a good amount of money, but is that enough where people are, f are fleeing the state and taking jobs with them? They're not. Bob, well, think? I think I think it's one of many things that p 
people put into their calculations of, of doing it. But I'll tell you what, we got to do something. About a year from now, we're going to get preliminary numbers on the census. And I just hate to see what's happened to Ohio's population in the last 10 years. We got people leaving. We got older people leaving. We got younger people leaving. We just have all kinds of people leaving. And we got to do something at some point to turn this thing around. And maybe it'll take something like that and maybe some other things to get, get people to just change their minds and stay here in Ohio. We could make it warmer in the winter. <laughs> we could. We're, well, we're working on that. And we that's what Beth would say, that that's the main reason people move to Florida or other reasons, but not this fairly small tax. Uh, the argument, you know, is that people who have these estates have already paid taxes on this money. They paid their property taxes. They paid their income taxes. They built the wealth. Why should it be taxed twice? Well, and, and there is always, well, because there's always a new tax. It's an opportunity for the government to make whatever money they need. Let's, let's face it, it's a tax. That's all that it is. But uh, as far as, as being taxed twice, you get taxed twice all the time. Okay. Let's get to our weekly off-the-record right. comments from our panel. Final thoughts and predictions for the weeks ahead. Kathy Kindiski, you're up first. Well, I was going to make mention that I think that the, uh, there was uh, some headlines that the recession was over um, recently, and I'm going to say not quite yet. Um, we're probably still a year away out here in Ohio. Uh, Non-auto sales tax revenues for August were about 13% down from last year, three, about 4% lower than projections. I think that, that bodes pretty poorly for the next few months here. Everyone was buying cars during August, mm -hmm. Not, nothing else. Bill? <laughs> Remember all the hubbub last year when voters and legislators cracked down on the payday loan stores. Uh, half of the stores remain, and uh, there, some are charging almost as much as before the crackdown by tacking on some extra fees that legislators didn't, uh, didn't even figure that would happen. So now some legislators are calling for a second crackdown. Uh, I'm predicting the House is probably going to pass that second crackdown, but I don't think the Senate is going to. That means all the time and energy and money that was spent last year over this controversy may just have been a total waste. Bob? I have a election 2010 update. Uh, Larry Sabato, who is a uh, pronosticator, and he always predicts uh, how the, uh, he's from political science professor at University of Virginia. He predicts how uh, races, individual U.S. Senate and House races, and he's looked at the 15th district here in central Ohio, and he's uh, moved it from a leaning Democrat uh, to uh, a toss-up, and that's between Mary Jo Kilroy and Steve Stivers. Okay, and Joe? Two predictions for the price of one. Uh, I do think that within the next uh, three months there will be a bill ready for the president's signature on uh, health insurance reform, and I think both of Ohio senators will sign on to it. Okay, and the lack of excitement for the Buckeyes USC game is is palpable. No Buckeye predictions today. What does that tell you? <laughs> <I held myself>. <laughs> <laughs> that is Columbus on the record for this week. You continue the you can continue the conversation at our website. Our question this week. What is the one health care reform in your mind that is non-negotiable? That's at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. We leave you this week with a scene from the Ohio State House in remembrance of the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001. Have a good week. <laughs>